Next Chapter Podcasts. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Michael Goodfriend, and I'm the executive producer of In the Cards. And I am Kevin Henderson, the writer-director of In the Cards. Kevin, we have Steve Boyer. I'm going to call yes. him Steven. Okay. Because that's his, that's his professional name. <laughs> Stephen Boyer, don't talk yet, Steve. All right. You're a New York City-based actor who has starred in numerous shows on and off Broadway. You're right now in Kimberly Akimbo, which won Tony Awards. I don't know exactly what for, although I know Bonnie Milligan got one. <laughs> um, you have gotten nominated for Tony Awards for uh, Kimberly Akimbo and other things. You have lots of television credits. And you have tons of theater credits. And now you have a second podcast credit. Thanks to Next Chapter Podcasts. Let me give us a pat on the back for that. Uh, you are a, a, a great star in our universe. And it is an absolute joy to have you, especially after your incredible performance in In the Cards as Lex. Welcome. Welcome to the bonus content series for In the Cards, Steve. Thank you. It's great to be here. I feel like I just learned so much about myself. <laughs> You're like, you have been nominated. I'm like, I have. It's incredible. And he's done other podcasts other than these two. I, I listened have to I? One. I mean, I don't know. Haven't you? Didn't your wife write write a play or something? And uh, yeah, I think you have with Lithgow. And oh, do you know that your wife wrote a play? Yes. You know, I I did do. Yes, my my wife wrote a a radio play for. Um, What's that? What's that series? The uh, playing on air. That's not a that's not a podcast, Kevin. That's a radio play. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) It's a radio play. I heard it as a podcast. So, okay, as Lex, you're an ad man, right? You're you're it's a dreary job. You're putting together these table tents, which is brilliant. Kevin's brilliant uh, idea there. What's the like worst survival job or most tedious survival job you've ever had? Oh, I've, I, uh, well, I've been very fortunate lately to, uh, make ends meet just through performing, um, which, which is, is great. That's a huge feat. It's, I, I feel like that as like a benchmark of success for an actor, I feel like that's, that's, that's all we're looking for. You know, it's like, if we can just do this and pay our rent, then that's it. We've made it. We, we that is success um but before that i i di- i did a bunch of things i mean i was you know i was a singing and dancing waiter at johnny rockets <laughs> i uh 
<laughs> I I worked at the Atlantic Philanthropies as a receptionist, but I got fired for being too political <laughs> because they're supposed to be not political there. Um, and uh, I also I was a I I was like unemployed as an actor for about a decade. I had very few jobs as an actor, and I I started going crazy and I uh, did stand up for a while because um, I just needed an outlet and I needed I needed the audience to tell me that I was okay. <laughs> so uh, I started doing stand-up for a while. I toured I toured around with another comedian and as a performer, uh, I think that uh, that stand-up is the scariest. There, there's a lot of books about how to how to write material. Mm-hmm. And if you, I, you know, whenever I'm trying to learn a new thing, I'm like, let's go to the books. And I, I really studied about how to write jokes for yourself. And uh, once I started doing it and I had like a, a nice solid set, I knew enough to slip the the new jokes, the new untested material in between two jokes that I knew right. worked. Right. So I didn't feel too bad about myself and were you uh and what sort of comedian were you were you like a storytelling kind of guy or uh yeah i mean i you know i did it for a very short period of time it was mostly like it was some observational but it was mostly like me it was just like my story my point of view and like me in real life like in the the storytelling and in the in the things that I would talk about, I would end up just sort of like impersonating people in those stories because that's just how I communicate in life. I mean, when I tell a story about my family, I'm going to do an impression of every member of my family. Did you know like that comedy was a strong suit of yours where people always like, you're so funny. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like from, I was like a class clown as a kid and just would, I would, I remember, you know, like in in elementary school like being over at friends houses and like there was a power outage and i just basically like riffed for hours and cracked up <laughs> this kid's family they're like oh no steve's coming over again today yeah. everybody i'd like go on you know i was in boy scouts i'd go on a camp out and i would literally stand at the campfire while all the other kids just sat around and i would talk for yeah. hours and just oh. crack them up Funny. Have you ever actually been an actual clown, like gotten in the clown suit and the whole thing? Uh, not in the clown suit. It's not like I'm, you know, Pennywise from it, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but I do hang out in sewers. So <laughs> we're very similar. Um, you know what? I did some clown stuff. I did some clown stuff. You know, you can't go to drama school and not do some clown stuff. Right. You went to Juilliard. I went to Juilliard. They're they, all they do, about that's clown the... stuff. The best of all the clown schools. Oh yes, the most highly trained clowns. <laughs> so you you were you you come from somewhere in Ohio, correct? Yeah, I come from a suburb of Columbus called Westerville. How does a young guy from the outskirts of the metropolis of Columbus, Ohio, uh, find Juilliard? There's there's actually a lot of community theaters mm-hmm. and children's theaters in and around Columbus. Um. If you know the show, uh, How I Met Your Mother, the lead in that show, Josh Radner, also grew up 
outside of Columbus. We did community theater together as That's like kids. Right. Um, there were a lot of opportunities to get on stage. And, you know, I was like a super hyper child. I think my parents were just like, get him on the stage, take him away. Right. <laughs> and I could re I really like funneled my energy into acting and really comedy. I mean, it was mm -hmm. really mostly comedic acting at that point. And, and I sing so, it, and I do accents. So they were like, Hey, there's this little kid who can do a bunch of accents and can sing and ha has the comic timing of, you know, a Looney Tunes cartoon. Right. So right. let's, <laughs> let's use him. And I ended up being booked and busy from like the age of 10 on. That's wild. In That's Columbus. And, uh, so I I was in a show or two at a time for years, wow. like for, throughout my teen years and even before. Right. And uh, but I, I'd heard of Juilliard. I did not know until I actually it was a guidance counselor who was like, so are you like, is this is this serious or like, are you she's like, get serious with me. Like, are you are you are you good? Right. Or are you, you know, and I was like, I think I'm, I think I'm pretty good. And she's like, yeah. then you should apply to Juilliard. I thought Juilliard was in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> well, good for her that she, cause yeah, I mean, I didn't, Yeah, I don't even think I ever spoke to, I don't even know if they had guidance counselors at my. I applied to like uh, over a dozen programs cause I oh, was okay. scared that I wasn't going to get into any of them. Sure. Um, and I was very uh, chill at my Juilliard audition because I'm like, this is just practice for the other ones that I'm I'm right. sure I have a better shot at. Right. And then and I you, was so relaxed New that I got in. Wow. And did you go to New York for that or were they? You know, no, I auditioned in Chicago going? for that. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. At that, I remember those, you, you go to that. Um, a hotel. That big building, yeah, that the Palmer yeah. House. Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> and you audition for like five or six schools all at once, uh, you know, like, I mean, in different rooms, but like on the same day. Okay. Right. And then some people see like, did you get called back? Like, yeah. So, Juilliard so had a callback. It was the only one that had a callback. It was actually more of a culture. Show. I felt like I felt kind of ready to go to New York and like go live in the city. Right. Right. And it was more of a culture shock after I had gone to New York, gone to Juilliard, and then I would come back home for holidays. I'd walk around the mall and I'd be like, everybody is really fat and really white. <laughs> and they like, walk. Really I didn't slowly. notice before. <laughs> everybody here is, is really, really big and really white. <laughs> so that was a culture shock. I'm like, ah, I had no idea. And how did you get from graduating to uh, doing Hand of God? With my good friend uh, car. It took it took some time. I when I graduated, the first thing I did, first job I had was on Broadway at the Booth Theater. It was a revival of oh. I'm Not Rappaport with Judd Hirsch and Ben Vereen. And I had one scene at the end of Act One where I came on with a knife. I was a Central Park mugger in the 80s, and I mugged these guys at knife point. I knocked Judd Hirsch out. I took Ben Vereen's money and I ran off stage. And then I just played video games backstage for all of Act Two. <laughs> oh um, I was like, hey. What a dream job. It's Broadway. This shit's going to be easy. <laughs> and then I 
<laughs> then I spent the next 10 years like maxing out credit cards and, right. and I couldn't get hired to save my life. I, re I really, I did, I did a smattering of regional shows. Mm -hmm. um, mostly I got hired. Uh, I play a lot of instruments and I got hired when they needed uh, an actor musician. Right. They're like, you know, do you play accordion or do you play ukulele? And I'm like, I will learn for this audition. Right. <laughs> and then I, I, I ended up doing a lot of actor musician tracks. In well, things. That's, that's a and great you, skill to have, right? You hadn't yeah, been a musician, yeah. like you hadn't been a musician prior to that. You oh, no, I played piano and guitar, but then I ended up, you know, sometimes they'd be like, we need a piano player or a guitar player. But then when there's a weird instrument, I'd be like, well, I'll, I'll figure, it, figure out. it out. Right. I'll right. figure it out. That's great. <laughs> well, I mean, having dirty, a foundation. Dirty in a show for six months. Like um, knowing, knowing the piano gives you that, that foundation yes. for all those other instruments. Absolutely. I learned piano and then I had a guitar and I was able to teach myself guitar with a chord chart and the piano music that I was able to read. Right. And everything, knowing those two instruments really translated into learning a lot basically any fretted instrument any instrument with a keyboard you're you're going to be able to learn if you know piano right. and guitar and, and you're uh, in a band right you're in I an am. actual band I'm in, a, I'm in a band with a bunch of other actors right one of them is will jackson harper i know that william jackson harper is our drummer bobby moreno plays rhythm yes. guitar bobby moreno who yeah. played henry the fifth for that's us right play on podcast yes. and you were pistol and you were brilliant yeah jeff beals on bass oh yeah also uh, henry the fifth and Diana O and Sean Randall are our vocalists and also on synths. We're How called that? the U.S. Open. Right. You how did you get the, our did... album on Spotify? <laughs> tell tell us how you got the got to that as the name of the band. Oh, uh, it was. You know what? We had very weird names for a while. Um, we were just called like the house band, and then for and then one gig we were called the what. We had no name. People were like, what are you called? And we're like, I don't know. And then after after a gig, we were at a bar and it was actually Will William Jackson Harper and I were joking about another band, this like this indie, this indie rock band called Tennis. Uh -huh. And we were like, What is that's a ridiculous name? And they're like, Yeah, we should call ourselves Wimbledon or you know, the the uh Australian Open. Or and then we were like, the US Open, and we were like us open and we kind of liked we kind of liked the connotations of that name like it is you know there's a there's a u.s open for all sorts of things so why not for music and it's like it says like it's the best of the best but also we have you know a lot of we have songs that are kind of political and and about like uh you know it, it, it was it was during the the trump years so this idea of like just the phrase the u.s opens was kind of like a fuck you to the anti-immigrant sentiments of the administration and things um but it has nothing to do with tennis or golf <laughs> so it was, was just the, you know it made people smile was the things started to turn for you in a good way thanks to music thanks to being an actor musician right i mean what was the actual turn where you were like oh i'm 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 actually 
I'm I'm I don't need another job anymore. It was um I I started I wanted to stay in town because I'd been doing all these regional things. So I stayed in town by I stayed in New York City by kind of like planting roots at this place, Ensemble Studio Theater in Hell's Kitchen, EST. And EST is a developmental theater where playwrights and directors and actors get together and do readings and workshops and really develop new work together uh, and in, you know, in a very collaborative process. And that's always what I wanted to do. I wanted to do, I wanted to originate characters, you know, I didn't want to do revivals necessarily or, you know, uh, traditional shows that people had seen. I wanted, I wanted to be the first to, I wanted to put my stamp on something. And that's what you did at EST. And, you know, it didn't really pay any money, but you're, 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 thinking, you know, maybe one of these plays will hit. And one of them did. And it was Hand to God. Oh, okay. Which started, you know, we did like eight or nine workshops or readings. We did tons of readings over the course of years. And then finally, EST was like, these readings are getting such a good response. We're going to make some room in our schedule, in our season, and just kind of shoehorn it in. And then it got extended like three times. And it became the season. All these money people showed up. It eventually moved to an off-Broadway theater down at the Lucille Lortel. And then a year after that, moved to the booth and wow. had a Broadway run for about a year and wow. was nominated for all kinds of Tonys. Right. And uh, it was this weird, weird, like psychotic, hilarious horror movie of a play with blood and, you know, devil possessed puppets and uh, sex fights and just like it was it, it was filthy and, and you, hilarious. And somehow you, it made it to Broadway, which is <laughs> insane. I mean, you have a turn, not you the had kind a turn. of show that you would expect. You do something with those puppets, as I recall. Oh, yeah. There's a there's a there's a really graphic sex scene where the puppets are banging in many positions while the people that are, you know, because the puppets are, have a mind of their own in this show. They, they are, they are their own, they, they have their own brain. They're, you know, people's hands are possessed. And, uh, and so the, the people that have their hands in the puppets are having a scene, a very serious heart to heart scene while in front of them, these puppets are just going at it which includes the final act i mean it's it's they go all the way they finish. so this combined with avenue q folks kids out there listening if you want to get to broadway fuck puppets fuck puppets <laughs> yes, please is your path to broadway That's it. yeah really it's uh people love it <laughs> So that, so that ahead, happened Jeff. and things really turned around. I mean, things. That's really when that's when things really turned around. Yes. Right. Oh, well, going back to your EST thing, mm -hmm. that's sort of how that connection came to us. Um, oh, yeah. Because you had worked with with our sound designer Shane Reddig. Oh yes. And mm -hmm. when I first started, um, you know, I, I when I first conceived of doing this as a project. My first call was to Shane, who 
I went to school, you know, he went to Yale School of Drama as well. And um, I said, look, I've got this idea to do, you know, like an old radio play type of deal. These these types of entertainments are becoming popular. You know, I think we could do this for, you know, pretty cheap, just you and me and in somebody's, uh, you know, uh, closet studio or something. And he's like, I love that idea. You know, all right. I said, look, I'm going to bang out a couple episodes. I'll, I'll send them to your way. And then we'll we'll see if we both think it's this is a good idea. Anyway, so fast forward, I had written about t- between two and four of them. And he said, who are you thinking about for parts? And, um, you know, I was writing. <clears throat> I, I wrote the Bella role for Lila because she was somebody in my I, I wrote Robert the waiter. I wrote for for Michael Goodfriend. He was the one who was always in my mind and um but lex lex was a bit of a challenge i i was like i have no idea because this role to me was the biggest uh that was the trickiest role i i thought that th- that was the role that could really screw up the whole <laughs> the whole podcast because he's so out there um but if it's not if his m- manic uh, energy doesn't come from a place of believability and honesty, then then it's going to turn into a cartoon, and it's not going to be something that I want it to be, which is which is more than that. So so Shane was like, "I know the perfect guy." He's like, "I know a guy who's crazy. <laughs> He's nuts. I know a guy who fucks puppets, makes puppets fuck." I saw him fuck a puppet on Broadway. <laughs> So so anyway, uh, I I started to to Google you, and so I I started. I hadn't seen Hand of God. I wish I had. Um, but I had seen a bunch of clips, and then I was you know watching some of your clips. Uh, you know the other stuff that you had done, and I was like, yeah, let's let's. You think he'd be interested? And so we approached you pretty early, like way way back. Um, and it took several years for the project to actually go, but. You had given at least sort of a soft commitment to be like, oh yeah, okay. So, so anyway, I, I started to really write towards what I thought your voice would be um, in this thing, and uh, you certainly did not disappoint. I mean, oh. I think you nailed it. Uh, <laughs> it's it really it felt it it fit like a glove, <laughs> like a puppet. Oh it got God. to the point where I I would hear. Um, you know, the initial mixes would come in and before you even really had a line out, I'd be laughing at you. Yeah. You just one, one word. And I'd be like, ah, he's got his. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You really cracked this up there. So, and the other funny, you know, you know, I always wonder why does an actor say yes to something? Now it's not like, it's not like this was, you know, 12 years ago where you were, you know, just doing anything, any sort of project. You're, you're a very busy guy. You're on Broadway while we were going into production on this thing. I'm like, ah, we're going to lose him. He's going to be too busy. So, so why does an actor say yes to a project that you really only read the first episode of and with people who you only know tangentially through Shane, who I don't think you guys are like best friends or anything, have a working relationship. So why why does Stephen Boyer say yes to this little project? You don't have to say that it was because of the writing. I'm just letting you know this right now. <laughs> the answer it is was, because of the writing. It was the writing. <laughs> okay. Um, so the writing in one episode, there were eight. The writing could have fallen off. The track. writing in all of them. Uh, <laughs> I, you know what? I mean, I had done, I had done Henry five before. That hack. And, or that, no, that Henry chestnut. four. 
Henry four? No, Henry five. Sorry, Henry, Henry five. five. So I did, I did I did Henry Henry five the Henry five podcast and I and it was it was it was relatively easy and painless. I'm like, uh -huh. oh, I can act with like good people right from my home. <laughs> that was in the early days of the pandemic. Like right. it was, you know, I was kind of like hungry for a performance opportunity. Right. And the cast that was assembled for Henry Five, great, great people. And I'm like, oh, I get to I get like a little taste of of acting with these people who right. I I really like their work and admire. And, uh, and I, that was like a really good experience. And so this, and then this opportunity came along and I read the first episode and I'm like, well, this is funny. And this character, I'm like, I've got this character in my back pocket. Like, <laughs> this is not going to be like a heavy lift for me. <laughs> and it's going to be fun because right. he had, you know, he had like all the great jokes. He did. <laughs> so and I I kind of knew what the what the recording experience was like from before and so I'm like right. this you know the opportunity to to be this character in this story seems like a lot of fun and it doesn't seem like it's going to be like so grueling right you know it was it was it was relatively relatively easy breezy Oh, okay. You hear that, Kevin? You hear that? It wasn't the writing. It was me. <laughs> I, I got him into Henry V and, and the rest was, that was it. He's like, I work with Michael Goodfriend again? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I do remember you saying like on the third or fourth day of recording, you're like, boy, this role is kind of big. I didn't expect I'd have to be here. This <laughs> Really? Months. Yeah. <laughs> well, but then, I mean, but then also, Steve, like your agent was like, he has to be able to work from home. He only wants to work from home. He's only going to do it from home. I'm like, whatever, fine, fine. But then you were in the studio the whole time. I was like, I guess. Yeah, you know why? why? <laughs> Got away from because that kid. I, I mean, I have, I have two kids now. Yeah. And but but when I was recording this, I only had one. <laughs> but he, you know, kid kids are changing all the time, and his his newest thing was just like just being a hyperactive <laughs> crazy ball of energy running around and i'm like there is no way i can do this at home i have to go in oh. <laughs> i mean i i do like lila the cast assembled for this is just like it's a lot of heavy hitters yeah yeah we were very very fortunate um uh, for sure and and you know like i said to, to michael from the beginning i've said this to other people like i i wanted to you know, this was going to be something that really had no rehearsal. We just did a read through. Right. Um, I, I didn't want a bunch of, you know, difficult personalities. I wanted things to be really tight. I wanted to have a, a connection, even if it wasn't firsthand to each person in it, you know, secondhand. So, you know, mm -hmm. you know, Shane, Shane was like, yeah, this guy's great. So I like, to me, I considered you family, Jamie Ann. I didn't know her, but Michael worked with her a bunch and Lila I knew of course. And, you know, even, the other roles like uh you know well we um, didn't know about connor we didn't know what that how that, that was, was the yeah out. connor was the big wild card because he was the only one who was completely outside of of the family we hit connor perfect. and i knew a couple people from the commercial route um mm. but other than that i didn't really know him so that was that was tricky but you got you and connor your oh, your man. energy together chemistry is amazing yeah it was fun it felt like you guys were just like immediate pals I mean, it, he, you know, 
some people some people play ball yeah yeah and he he's he's there to play ball like he, right. you you give him something and he takes it and gives it gives it back and and like that's 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 what you want in right. every situation as and, an actor. and that is literally right. the phrase that i used with michael i said i want people who are going to play ball oh yeah and um yeah. yeah well that was i mean you guys your energy together was just fantastic when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. And Decent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Can we get back to survival jobs and clowns and such like? <laughs> um, sure. uh, Kevin, what what is, have you ever been a clown? For money i well i've been a clown in a couple shows and then uh our class our classmate susie stevens and i we we had to we dressed up in some some fuzzy like full uh character outfits and we got roped into doing something in, in Columbus Circle and dancing around. And I, think I remember she's this. like this. She's like, my costume seems heavy. I, I'm like, all right, I'll take your costume and you can take my costume. Then I realized that, you know, my costume was the man costume and her costume was the female costume. So <laughs> I was I was a cross a cross dressing frog and um, or something. Oh, like that. So that was the worst one I did. Any other survival jobs that you remember? I, I did. I did have a. Uh... This one is particularly weird. Um, there was a job uh, when I, I I found out through uh, some of my like friends in the stand up world because they always had very weird survival jobs. They were like, they were like, uh, yeah. So Clear Channel owns a bunch of radio stations all across the country, and on all of their morning shows, they do these weird things were called war of the roses where they try and catch someone cheating on their partner by like being like okay we're gonna call up mitch and we're gonna offer mitch a dozen roses and he can send it to whoever he wants and we're like we're on the phone with angela angela you think mitch is cheating we're gonna see if mitch sends them to angela or someone else <laughs> and uh and the people on the phone, the people who are playing like Mitch, the Mitch and Angela characters or whoever are actors. Oh, no. Oh, I love this. Yes. And so I would wake up at 530 in the morning 
to do morning radio, I would call into like a station in like South Carolina and I'd be like, hello, hi. And they're like, okay, all right, Steve, we also got uh, Emily over here on the line. And she'd be like, hi. <laughs> and like, okay, you two are going to fight. Uh, we can't curse because we're going to be live on the air, but okay, you're going to be bitch and you're going to be <laughs> it's like, and so I would have to get up and I would have to like, you know, I would have to like whisper to my sleeping wife. I'd be like, hey, I'm going to go in the next room and scream at someone right now. So just try and sleep. And I'd be in the next room being like, you bitch, you ruined my How could you do this to me? He's my best friend. And, uh, and she'd be like, you never pay attention to me. How am I supposed to feel? And, uh, and they'd be like, oh, boy, war, this War of the Roses was one for the history books. <laughs> and I would make 50 bucks, 50 bucks a pop, you know, for whatever. And so, you know, sometimes I would do two of them. And how I'd do be you like, get a job like that? I made $100 how does before nine in the morning. Like, how did you find out about the job? And somebody was like, dude, dude, there's this another comedian, another stand up was like, Perfect. they need people that can improvise. That so is I'm like, great. Okay. And did did so, you know whoever uh, Emily or Angela was? No, you, know? you never met these people. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know who this person is, but I'm going to say terrible things to them <laughs> at an ungodly hour of morning. But I would do. I would try to turn it into, cause I was like an unemployed actor. I was trying to turn it into like an exercise. Like I'd be like, oh, well this, this radio station is in Louisiana. And I would like go online and I go to like the international dialects of English archive. And I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be like let me work on my Louisiana dialect. I'm a fine secure. Do this. <laughs> so I'd be like, you ruined my life, Angela. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, that would just sound like foghorn leghorn. Did you? I'll say, I'll say, I'll say. Oh man, that must have told you... so many people that you were fake. Like, yeah, oh, right. That guy's not from here. So, I mean, sometimes I would just try and match the like the guy's accent, like who was calling like, you. Yeah, you know, the host. The host would be like, "All right, we're gonna do, we're gonna do uh, War of the Roses, and uh, who do we have online?" I'm like. It's me, Hank. <laughs> just like trying to do them. I'm like, yep, no, she is cheating on me, sure as shit. <laughs> we we got to catch her. Did she? Uh, did you get ever get copies of these things or no? No, no, no. And they were like, "Don't tell anyone." Right. <laughs> burn after reading, like burn after hearing. Right. Next time in, um, I'm in Biloxi. I'll make sure I keep my. I have down. told this like story secrets. many, many times. Like people have to know. I think they used to be real. Yeah. And then they got sued. Oh. And they're like, well, people love it. <laughs> Let's keep doing it. It's probably also a lot less work for them to do it with actors, oh, yeah. right? Oh, right. Yeah, a lot less to worry about. It's probably actually funnier, right? Yeah. When you get right down to it. So how about psychics? What is your what's your history in dabbling with the occult? <laughs> I I I went to a psychic one time with an ex-girlfriend and mm. she, and she really wanted to go yeah. and I'm like okay we'll both get our stuff read I think it was I think it was tarot cards and um 
And all I remember is that she told me, she was like, you will, you will be with the love of your life and she will have an S in her name. And my girlfriend at the time, no S in her name. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but my wife now S in her name. Really? So, oh, Mm -hmm. There you go. But I mean, that's that's really. I mean, look, S is a pretty common letter. I know. <laughs> you know like... She's going to have a vowel in her name, <laughs> <laughs> and a consonant. There will be a consonant and a vowel in the first <gasps> and. So when you met your You're wife good. and she had an S in her name, were you like, "This must be it"? No, just so <laughs> many people have an S in their name. A nice S. Did she have a nice S? <laughs> oh, yes. Very nice. That's it? Just one and done? That's it. I mean, you know, I don't... You don't read your horoscope? I'm, you don't... I'm, I'm not so into magical thinking. <laughs> um, I, uh, As I told Michael in a, in a previous podcast, you can go back and, and research which one. I, did, I have never been to a psychic. It freaked me out too much. But I remember when I was a little boy, my... my uh, you know, my mother used to run a dance studio and uh, the person who taught her was, you know, a, a legend in our town. And she actually she she choreographed at the college that I ended up going to. She was a very, very funny person. And she was very, very much into the whole into the whole tarot thing. Oh, boy. And she'd read my mom's cards and she'd go and stuff like that. And when I was little, I used to say, uh, you know, someone would ask me to do something. And I said, I can't do that. And she, and then this woman, Miss Beverly, her name is Miss Beverly Fletcher. She'd say, Kevin, why can't you do that? And I said, well, the sun won't let me. And she said, what? <laughs> She's like, why? Why won't the sun let you? And I'm like, the sun won't let me. And then I do something like bad. And they're like, Kevin, why did you do that? And I said, the sun made me. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. God. <laughs> so Miss Beverly thought that I was in direct connection with the universe because I had this relationship with the sun. You were touched. Was... <laughs> You're touched. <laughs> and, her, and her daughters, who I, I saw recently, uh, they're like, oh, Kevin, remember the sun won't let you do it. I'm like, yeah, it freaked your mother out. Anyway. Yeah, she doesn't mess with her son. You were like uh, Danny Torrance from The Shining. Uh, <laughs> Steve, that kid's got the shine. You're in a Broadway show called Kimberly Akimbo at the moment. Yes. How long have you been doing this? I've been doing it uh, at this point for a couple of years because wow. we started off Broadway at the Atlantic Theater. Oh, and yeah. then we've, we have been on Broadway at the Booth Theater uh, for just over a year now. You crossed the Rubicon from off-Broadway to Broadway twice. You know, you're, twice. that puts you in like rare, rarefied air. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm usually an off-Broadway play guy. Uh, that's most of the stuff I do that's on stage. But and, usually um, they jettison the off-Broadway actor. They're like, yeah, screw that guy. He doesn't have a yeah. following. And then we yeah. bring in some star. You you That's you right. made it, man. Like you you originated. I, mean, I, I really can't believe it. I mean, I I do feel like it's only the weirdest shows that I am in. <laughs> I I just <laughs> tend to do a lot of weird shows, and uh, shows that people are like, "That's not going to make it to Broadway," and then it does. <laughs> and how? So you've been doing it for years. Uh -huh. What's it like to be doing eight shows a week? Day after day, do you start to lose your marbles a little bit? You start to be like, uh, is well, there a way out? There's, 
there is something that happens in your brain after a certain amount of time of doing the same lines in the same places and the same movements and things. Um, and I experienced this doing Hand to God because that ran for about uh, just under a year. And there was a scene where I, I had all these scenes where I had to do the dialogue of myself and the puppet. And so there was no one to save me if I right. went up on a line. And I was doing this scene. It was it was a, a clip of the Who's on First routine, the Abbott and Costello Who's on First routine. And I just, I was thinking about it too much. I wasn't just like dropping the needle on the record and letting it play like it had played every other show. You know what I mean? I was thinking this it was like six or seven months into this run. I was thinking in the moment too much. <laughs> you started watching. And not just relying on muscle memory, which at that point was a mistake. And because the uh, suddenly I couldn't remember a thing. <laughs> I couldn't remember anything. And <laughs> I talked to the director about it afterwards and and uh, he was like, oh, you've been doing this for so long that the script has has left your short-term memory and has been filed away in the long-term memory part of your brain. Oh. He's like, so if you think too hard about it, you won't be able to do it. You have to just do it because it will get pulled from that more kind of subconscious part of your brain where it you have known this material and lived with it for so long that that's where it resides now he's like but it also means that when you are senile and in the nursing home at the end of your life you will be doing the who's on first routine because it will <laughs> never leave you oh, oh my and god I, and okay. i have experienced that and other actors have experienced that during kimberly akimbo because we have been doing it for so long that really if you I mean, you can still be present and make different choices and react to what's going on on that particular night and the, you know, your other, your other actors and the audience, you can be alive and in the moment, but there is a thing where if you think, if you think too hard about <laughs> it while you're doing it, it will all go away. That's fascinating. This yeah. happened to Derek Jacoby. You know, he I, I heard this story. Mm. He I, I <clears throat> he told me and <laughs> many other people who were gathered at his feet um, that he was doing Hamlet. He was doing this three or four year run of Hamlet traveling all over Boy. the world. And he was in Japan and it was like the time zone was all messed up. And he was like it was day at night, night, day when he was it was before to be or not to be that they put one of the two intermissions and he was in the vom waiting to go on and he was like tom -ji -tom -ji -tom, what if i went up on the speech wouldn't that be hilarious and then he kind of put that thought out of his mind he said he went on stage the lights came up and he did not know he didn't know what he what he was doing like he had a he was completely out of body didn't know what the first line of the speech was of to yeah. be or not to be and then he said wow. he had stage fright for seven years. He didn't go on stage. Fortunately, Ooh. he had a flourishing film career, so he could afford not to go on stage. But he, uh, yeah, it took him took him a long time to get back on stage. Wow. So good luck if that ever happens to you again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
may you have a flourishing film career. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> great. I, I was doing plays and I was like, you know, maybe it's time for me to stop doing plays because I started to realize that literally every single time I walked out on stage and I'm saying my first lines, I'm like, is my zipper down? I'm convinced. <laughs> I'm convinced my zipper's down as I'm playing the scene. And then the whole scene, all I can think about instead of, you know, whatever it was, is my, my zipper's down. So I was like, I... I <laughs> I'm That's like, to my costume designers. I must have pants with no zippers. They 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 must <laughs> just pull up. That's that's before even short term memory kicks in. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, that's foundational just, primal. All I know. can remember is my zipper, or not. <laughs> I have a, I have a question for Steve. Okay, some actors, uh, some actors love seeing their work, have no problem watching them. So I have no problem. Like if I'm do something little on TV show or or whatever. Um, some people can't stand it. Are you somebody who are, is going to listen to like the podcast and be like, "Oh, that was fun. Oh, yeah, it was pretty funny there." Or do you are you somebody who's just like you do it? You just uh, it's in your it's in your rearview mirror. You know what? I feel like I I feel like it's important for me to see the things that I've done after Indeed. they've been completed. And to like, you know, to listen to the podcast, see how it, how it came out. Because I, I mean, because I have an idea of how I did or like how I came across when it was happening. But really, it's not until it's edited and it's all finished. And so I want to see, you know, what the people are seeing. Right. I want to hear what they're hearing and see how it actually came across. And I feel... I'm not one of the actors that is like, oh no, I can't, I can't look at myself because all I see is, all I see is, you know, the mistakes. It's I, I feel like, I mean, I do see things that I, I maybe would have done differently, but I need to know how it came across uh, in order to progress. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And a follow-up question to that. <clears throat> Sorry, Michael, I can see you chomping at the bit, but um, <laughs> I've asked this to a couple of the others. I- I'm just curious, did the show turn out like you had Im- had imagined? Like, because I, I, I mean, the writing style was what it was, and I kept trying to say during, you know, recording, I'm look, look, there's some like thriller music that's going to happen here. Yeah. And it's going to be right. like wild and blah, 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 blah. And I, <laughs> I, you know, people were looking at me like, oh, what's he talking about? How's thriller music going to happen about talking about toast? You know, so I'm just curious, tonally, did, did the, did the series end up being in the ballpark of what you were thinking about or didn't really? Um, yeah, it was, it was kind of more cinematic than I, than I anticipated. Right. Like it, it, um, in, there's like, the intro and you know the fully stuff and that I knew was going to be there that I knew was going to kind of give it a, a a sheen like a polish right but um but yeah it felt really cinematic in a way like it felt like it felt like a movie yeah it felt like you know the it was scored and it, and it everything was like kind of bolstering the narrative and right and uh yeah that 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 was surprising before we cross into having to pay you golden overtime (laughs) 
<laughs> we got to say goodbye, but it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you and, and hearing all about your wide ranging experiences as a human on this planet. Uh, it, it's, it's such a gift for us that you were part of this. You really are ours. I mean, I mean, you made a huge difference. You were the difference maker in so many respects, just uh, in, in terms of the ear candy of this series. I know, uh, uh, I think Kevin feels the same. Kevin, do you, do you like Steve? I do. I love Steve. He doesn't know it, but you can be honest. <laughs> we actually, we've, okay. we both have, we're really like fanboys. I know. Yeah, man yeah. This isn't going to be aired anywhere, is it? This no, is it isn't. You. Actually, it's just for me, and we take it home. And we're not even recording it at night. You're right. just taking screenshots the whole time. <laughs> yeah. That's it, Steve Boyer, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. If you miss him on Broadway, if you miss Hand of God, don't worry. Wait around a few decades, you can see him at a nursing home in his dementia, making puppets fuck. Yes. You've been listening to the bonus content series for In the Cards. You can learn more about In the Cards at Next Chapter Podcast website, ncpodcast.com. That's N is in next, C is in chapter, podcast with an S at the end. Hey, hey, an S is in your future. It's true. You can find other Play On Podcast series there and interviews along with talk podcasts like The 500, Indecent with Kiki Anderson, Beef with Bridget Todd, the award-winning Play On Podcast series, that Steve Boyer is in playing Pistol and Henry V. Go listen, it's really, really good. And a whole lot more. I'd like to thank Jeremiah Tittle, the founder of Next Chapter Podcast, my partner in crime, and my producer, Pete Musto. Our audio engineer, editor, and sound designer is Justin Cortez. Be sure to subscribe to Next Chapter Podcast for updates on all the latest content. And don't forget to rate and review our shows, right, Steve? That's right. Rate and Five review stars. our shows. Five stars for Steve Boyer and in the cards. I'm Michael Goodfriend. And, and I'm Kevin Henderson. <laughs> we look forward to sharing more incredible works with you, along with lots of enlightening bonus content. Next Chapter Podcasts.